0: Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome back to another episode of This Poor Pastor's Podcast. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Can you promise that I will come back? No. And if you do, you will not be the same. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Look, I know you doubt me. I know, I know you always have. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles, troubles. troubles, Hey everybody, it's Monday again, and so glad that you are joining me today. I have a little bit different uh, episode today. Not different, that I've never done something like this, but I'm going to share with you something that we've been talking about with our church lately, and I think it's good information. It's something that I just want you to consider. You may not agree with what I'm going to say, but I hope that you'll at least consider what I'm going to say and think about whether it has any merit, and if it has any merit, what place it has in our lives. I'm going to talk about Saul in the days immediately following his conversion and what lessons we can learn from that and what things we should avoid. So we're going to talk about today, Saul before he was Paul, on today's episode. So we've been going through the book of Acts uh, together in our church. It's been a lot of weeks now. I, I could imagine we'll probably be in Acts for the rest of this year. Um, not that we're trying to get bogged down. I think now we're starting to move a little bit more quickly. Uh, we're in Acts chapter number 12. The book of Acts is kind of, I think it's kind of front loaded. It's very dense in the beginning. It's kind of like a singularity. Uh, All of that, uh, all of the Jews from the surrounding uh, nations where they had been scattered, um, you know, descended on Jerusalem the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down, and then uh, that singular point, things began to spread out from there. And as the book of Acts continues, it spreads wider and wider and wider, and so at first we we're moving very, very slowly as we're looking at the sermons that Peter is preaching and that Stephen is preaching and what's going on and how the Church is understanding what's what's happening, uh, but now we're we're starting to get a little bit broader, and we have covered the calling of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, his calling to apostleship and his subsequent uh, belief in Christ, and then... Um, we just kind of took a little while and looked at Acts chapter number 9. One of the things that I was encouraging our church to do, and what I want to encourage you as well, is not to, not to turn the characters in the Bible into super saints, You know, we do this a lot. You know, even pastors will say the Apostle Paul was the greatest Christian that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe he was, maybe, maybe maybe he wasn't. I I think there are some Christians in the New Testament that may exceed the Christianity of the Apostle Paul. Um, Barnabas, for one, in my opinion, was, there wouldn't be an Apostle Paul if there wasn't a Barnabas, and that's a whole nother, a whole nother episode but uh, Barnabas is one of the mostly unsung heroes of the New Testament era. Uh, He just pops his head up here and there, but we always find him um, consoling, encouraging. Luke 11 says he was a good man. He was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost, and because of that, much people was added unto the Lord. But that's another topic. In Acts chapter number 9, we have Paul's Damascus Road experience, which I won't go into here, but it is my uh, it's my assertion that what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road, or Saul at that time on the Damascus Road was less about his salvation and more about his calling as an apostle that's how Paul relates to it in, in Galatians chapter one and First Timothy chapter one and first Corinthians chapter fifteen. This is about apostleship, not about salvation in our modern way of of viewing salvation. You have to view what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus in the same way that you view what happened to the other twelve apostles. Um, in that he was chosen by God to be an apostle. And the markers of an apostle in the New Testament are the same as the markers for the Apostle Paul. But again, that's a, se- a separate issue, but, um, but one I think that's really, really important um, to our understanding of what's going on there. But after Jesus uh, was revealed to Paul on the road to Damascus, and then his subsequent calling on the name of the Lord and his baptism... Um, we find that Saul of Tarsus, who was a very zealous, very aggressive individual, uh, Paul would say later as he was talking about that, he said, "You know, you want to talk about zeal? Uh, look at how I persecuted the, the Christians, the early, the early church. Look at how I did that." And he said, "I profited above above many in mine own religion, being being exceedingly zealous." Of, of the traditions of our fathers. Saul was a very zealous, a very aggressive, a very combative individual. You don't go all around the, um, the kingdom of, of uh, Judaism in that day or, or Judea under Herod the Great. You, you don't you don't go in through all that kingdom, with the, with letters from the high priest that you requested to go and drag men and women out of their houses and and compel them to blaspheme and imprison them and see them put to death and cast your vote for their death without being somewhat of an aggressive individual i think we could agree with that i mean you got to really be you got to really be a special kind of person to take that kind uh, of approach paul was possessed w- with his zeal for the traditions of the elders and a zeal for God as he understood him and because of that he 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 persecuted the the church of god and he he was wasting it i mean he was absolutely relentless in his pursuit of followers of jesus of nazareth and everybody knew it everybody knew saul by his reputation and even later christians would say this is the guy who 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 put us in jail. This is the guy who caused people to be put to death. This is the one who destroyed the faith. Now he's preaching it? That's strange. But we see Saul on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden, we want to then say, well, because Paul was such a great Christian, the greatest Christian to ever walk the earth other than Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ wasn't a Christian, um, but So, you know, it doesn't mean actually anything—I'm going to just divert here—it doesn't mean anything to say Paul was the greatest Christian other than Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ wasn't a Christian. So what you're saying is Paul is the greatest Christian ever. But I don't think that's true. But if it is, whatever. I don't want to argue about that. The point is, because that is how people view Paul, and I think primarily because they view Paul in his later years through many of his epistles, they back-read late Paul into early Saul— and they begin to excuse his behavior in the early days of his faith with his behavior in his later days, ignoring the contradictions between late Paul or older Paul and young Saul. And because of that, we often can glorify improper behavior on the part of Saul of Tarsus, because we have Front loaded the idea that he was the greatest Christian. I mean, if he's the greatest Christian, then you know he certainly everything he did we could emulate, and we do this when we look at the conflict between uh, Paul and Barnabas, as if hey, you know, he was, you know, this is this is Paul you're talking about here. He would never do anything like like that, you know. But I think that's a mistake, and the Bible doesn't present its heroes in a flattering light. Nor does it always say, pay attention, what they're doing here is wrong. The Bible's written in a way that we're supposed to look at it and think about it and compare it with other scriptures and other principles and ask the question, you know, is what this person did good? Is it right? Um, Was it right for Abraham to lie about Sarah being his sister, even though it wasn't technically a lie, it was like a half-truth, and he did it twice, and he almost got Abimelech killed for it, and he's not strictly... Corrected for that in Scripture. In fact, God comes to uh, um, Abimelech and says, "You know, you better give this guy back his wife because um, because he's a prophet." And so we think, "Oh, he's the prophet; therefore, everything he did was right." No, Abraham made mistakes. Abraham grew. Every every great hero of the Bible does did. I mean, it'd be like saying that because David was a man after God's own heart, that therefore. Um, everything David did should be emulated, but of course we 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 would say no. I mean, adultery is wrong, uh, and we you'd be right about that. So it shouldn't be so hard for us to look at the life of Paul before he was called Paul and say, you know, what lessons is Luke trying to give to us here? Now, if we look in the days surrounding in the first three years of uh, Paul's new Christian life. Um, we see a couple of things. In Acts chapter 9, verse starting in verse number 19, Paul was, I'm just going to use the word Paul. I'll probably say Saul again. You know who I'm talking about. It says, When he had received meat, he was strengthened. This was three days after the Damascus Road experience when Ananias came to him. He arose, he called on the name of the Lord, he was baptized. And then he received meat, he was strengthened, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. so he stayed with these disciples in the days following his um uh, following his um conversion and look what it says in verse number twenty, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now, that's a good thing, right? But he didn't waste any time. Look at this. He got saved, and he just right away uh, dove into the synagogues, and he preached Christ that he is a Son of God. What an admirable message. We should definitely do that. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? So, People were not convicted by Paul's message. They were confused by it. Like, what, what is going on with this guy? You know, he came here to, to confront people, and now all of a sudden he's preaching this message that he's been putting people in prison for, and it confused them. They were, not, they were not like, wow, this is amazing. They were confused by it. Verse 22, but Saul increased more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Paul was an incredible biblical intellect. He had been raised at the feet of Gamaliel since a boy. He was trained in the Old Testament scriptures, and now he had received special revelation from Jesus Christ himself about the gospel and the meaning of the Old Testament scriptures and the the meaning of the resurrection of Christ and how that Jesus of Nazareth was in fact the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. And he was growing in his his, uh, strength, he was growing in his understanding, and what do we see him doing right out of the gate. He starts beating people into submission, arm arm barring them into submission in the synagogues, and he confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. He proved that this is very Christ, and wow, that's wonderful, amazing. We should all be like that. We should strive to be so aggressive and so strong that we can literally just just armbar people and pin them to the ground and prove that this is very Christ. And yeah, this is exactly what we need to do. But look what happens in verse 23, or listen what happens in verse 23. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Well, of course they did. I mean, Jesus said, Jesus said that, you know, you're going to suffer for my namesake. Well, that's true, but the Jews took counsel to kill him. Because he was so aggressive, he was so offensive, he was so forceful in his message that the Jews were trying to kill him for what he was preaching and how he was doing it. But their laying in wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates uh, day and night to kill him. Day and night to kill him. So that's... That's wonderful, right? They were just trying to kill Saul just uh, not that long after his conversion. Um, but anyway, then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. You can't get much more humiliated than entering into Damascus as the, as the representative of the high priest and then being let down in a basket uh, at night um, because people are trying to kill you. So he left from there, and he went back to Jerusalem, where he had left from with letters from the high priest. He went back to Jerusalem, and the Bible says he he tried to join himself to the disciples that were in Jerusalem, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. I mean, they'd literally been hiding from him, and now all of a sudden he knows where they are, and he's trying to join himself, and they didn't believe it. They're like, you're not a disciple. This is a trick. You're trying to trick us, and they would not believe That Saul was actually a disciple of Jesus. Verse 27 But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he, the Lord, had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas said, Look, he's been very bold in his witness. He has seen the Lord and the Lord has spoken to him. And so he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem all right? There's nothing necessarily wrong with being bold in your witness, but Barnabas is the son of consolation. He's trying to help Saul. Uh, he's trying to encourage others to accept Saul, and he's not necessarily promoting everything that Saul has done, but he's saying, look, you know, give this guy a chance. He, he has been bold in his witness, he, and, you know, he's, now he's here, and let's, let him, let's give him a chance. And so in verse 28, he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem, Verse 29, nothing has changed, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, the Hellenized Jews in, in Jerusalem, those that lived in other parts of the Greek world but were Jews but had adopted both the language and, in some cases, the customs of the Hellenized world, and he was just disputing with them. He disputed against them. Paul is argumentative right out of the gate. He's, he's uh, pummeled to submission the Jews in the synagogues in in, uh, in Damascus and had to flee for his life. Now he's in Jerusalem, and he's at it again. He's just disputing. I mean, everywhere he goes, he's arguing with these people. And what is the, what is the result of his arguing with these Hellenized Jews? They went about to slay him. Well, look at those God-rejecting Grecians, you know. They're just trying to kill Saul because he's God's messenger. Or it's because the guy was an absolute aggressive, argumentative. He said, well, he had the right message. He did, but look at what happened now. He's in Damascus, and they're trying to kill him. Now he's going to Jerusalem, and they're trying to kill him. In verse number 30, which, when the brethren knew that the Grecians wanted to kill him, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. This is really interesting. That's, that's Saul's home. Tarsus is where he's from. They sent him home. Think about that for a minute. He's been in Damascus and caused, caused trouble in Damascus. Over the right things, but he caused trouble. Almost got himself killed. Then he went to Jerusalem and caused trouble there. And so the brethren took him to Caesarea, right on the on the on the edge of their of their Of their land area up in Caesarea, and said, I think you should go home now. They sent him home. And there's not much in Scripture at all about what Saul did in Tarsus. But the next time we see Saul isn't until Christians people are starting to turn to Christ in Antioch, and Barnabas again goes to Antioch and sees that people are coming to Christ, and Barnabas is a good man, and he goes from Antioch over into, into Tarsus to look for Saul. People say, well, I'm gonna, he said, I'm going to go find Saul, and when he finds him, he brings him to Antioch, and he works with Saul for a year, teaching people. Saul knew the Bible. Saul knew his message, but, look, but listen to verse 31. They sent him to Tarsus. They sent him home. They said, go home. And verse 31 says something interesting. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. I want you to think with me about this for a minute, fellas and ladies. There is not one statement in Acts chapter 9 from the baptism of Saul until they sent him to Tarsus. There is not one statement about anyone believing in Christ or being added. Not one. All we have is argument, conflict, and murderous intent. And the disciples at Jerusalem sent Saul home. The great apostle Paul! They said, go home for your benefit and for ours. Then, verse 31 says, then, after they sent Saul to Tarsus, then had the church's rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Then they were edified. No word of edification. All Paul was doing was argue, was, was browbeating people. He fought with the Grecians. He fought with the Jews in, in Damascus. He was always going out looking for an argument, proving he was right, being confrontational, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You know, But nobody is said to have come to Christ. Nobody is said to have been edified. Nobody is said to have had the the comfort of Christ. It was all conflict. And they said, go home, Saul, go home. Then the churches had rest. Then the churches were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied. Think about this with me for a moment. Can you say that Saul's behavior from his baptism until this being sent home to Tarsus is really a pattern for believers? Now, I know Paul talks in his epistles about speaking boldly. I know Paul talks about the—and we know that even when you do right, some people won't like the message. I get that. I grant you that. I'm not saying that Um, that just the fact that people wanted to kill him means that Paul was in the wrong, but but Luke records for us, without strictly saying that Paul was in the wrong, he records for us the actions so that we can consider them, and I just want to present to you the possibility that Saul's actions in what is basically about three years here, from the time of his conversion until this event in Jerusalem, Saul's actions are not admirable. They're actually the actions of, a, of, a, of an immature, um, fractious, confrontational Christian who, through his sense of rightness, was really causing a lot of problems for other Christians. Saul was stirring up so much controversy that nobody was being edified. People weren't being added to the Lord. He was a firebrand. He was a lightning rod. And all of this attention was on Saul of Tarsus and his arguments and his fighting and his bickering and how people wanted to kill him and the disciples were just trying to keep him alive. So they finally, they took him for the second time and they brought him to Caesarea and they gave him a little bit of traveling money and they said, now go home. And with Saul's absence, the churches in Judea and Galilee and Samaria had rest. And they were edified. And they were comforted. And they were multiplied. And I don't know what Saul did in Tarsus during those years. And it's interesting that Saul even kind of doesn't even really mention it too much in his epistles. He kind of skips past that period in his life. And Luke is gracious here to skip past some of that period as well. The next time we see him again, he's still in Tarsus doing who knows what. Maybe just contemplating, learning, thinking, and growing some more. And then Barnabas, the son of consolation, who specializes in rehabilitation. Remember, it's Barnabas who later, when Saul who's now Paul, doesn't want John Mark with them. Barnabas takes John Mark and rehabilitates him, I think in the same way that he rehabilitated Paul for that year in Damascus. You know, it wasn't until after that time, after a year in Antioch with Barnabas, that then the Holy Spirit says, you know what? Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. All those years from the time of Paul's calling on the road to Damascus until a year after he was in Antioch, now finally the Holy Spirit said, okay, now Saul is finally ready to do the work that I've called them to do. And I think Barnabas has a lot to do with that. Now think about what's going on in Saul's life here in Acts chapter 9 and his behavior, his aggression, his uh, desire to... Uh, overcome and to wrestle into submission with what Paul would say later. Elderly Paul would say to young Timothy in his letter when he said, But you know, Timothy, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, if peradventure God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That does not represent young Christian Saul in Acts chapter 9. What that represents is older Saul, now Paul, who realizes, I made some mistakes early on in my youth. I want to try to help you to avoid those same mistakes. The servant of the Lord cannot go around striving and fighting with people all the time. That's not what we're called to do. He said he must not strive, but he'd be gentle. Paul, Saul wasn't gentle in Damascus. He wasn't gentle in Jerusalem, and it almost got him killed. And he made life harder for the believers in those areas. And so the church at Jerusalem said, you need to go home for a little while. You're making life hard here. And again, it was in Saul's absence that the church multiplied, not in his presence that's something different that happens later in Saul's later life. But my dear friends, I'm just sharing this thought with you because it seems that so many Christians and pastors act more like young Saul than they do aged Paul. And we are not able to differentiate between the unwise and unhelpful actions of Saul in his young Christianity with Paul in his later years, who was gentle like a nurse cherishing children, who spoke with guile, um, uh, to, you know, he won them with guile. In other words, he was, he, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to he wasn't trying to wrestle people into submission. He learned at some point that it wasn't his intellect that was going to win the day that winning an argument wasn't the same as winning a soul. It really is the attribute of youth to be aggressive and the desire to prove that we are right, the desire to be right more than to be kind. And Saul the aged said to Timothy, this is not a good path the servant of the Lord should not do this. And he knew that because he had done it in those early years. And he got sent home for it. He was benched by the church in Jerusalem. And then Barnabas said, now it's time to get back into the game. Why don't you come with me and let me help you? Then, and only then, did the Holy Spirit say, now it's time. Now it's time. Guys, we can do great harm to the cause of Christ by our fractious, angry, prideful, arrogant attitude. Just because Saul wrestled them into submission, and that's recorded in Scripture, does not mean that that is something that we ought to do. That's not the way the Bible works. That's not the way the Bible is written. We're supposed to be able to look at that and say, I'm not so sure Saul was right here. Is there in our hearts and in our lives and our behavior, our social media posts, our Instagrams, our TikToks, our podcasts, are we being edifying? Are we being gentle? Are we being patient? Or are we being young Saul of Tarsus, wrestling people into submission, destroying them for the glory of God, Sometimes the church needs to grab us and send us home to say, why don't you go sit on the bench for a little while until you learn some maturity and some Christian love. I just want to present this to you as something to think about. Consider what I say, and the Lord give you understanding in all things. I love you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your kindness to me. Thank you for constantly being there. Please share this podcast with someone you think could benefit by it. If you want to reach out and speak with me, thispoorpastor at gmail.com is how you can do it. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful week, and Lord willing, I will be back next week right here on another episode of this Poor Pastor's Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.